take this opportunity uh, to remind you that last Sunday evening we began our uh, Bible classes back, uh, not as thorough maybe across the board as before uh, COVID hit and we didn't meet, but we will have and continue to have a credit roll class, a teenage class, a class through uh, for the K through fifth grade and also two adult classes, those for 30 and under and those for 31 and above uh, in the annex. And so that's at five o'clock. Um, communion will be offered at 445. I know that that may be mentioned as we dismiss, but uh, for those maybe who haven't been here in a few weeks and don't, don't know exactly the layout of things now, um, things are ever changing, it would seem, and uh, hopefully moving back in a more normal direction. And uh, that is our prayer and hope for uh, the coming future. You know, there is a, a sense, at least in, in my heart, of automatic trepidation when I finally try something that everyone says you have to try, especially if they're present when you try it. You ever, you ever been in that situation? It, it's a movie that everybody's seen and you haven't seen it. You just have to see this movie. And you hear over and over and over again, that you really can't live, that life can't be complete if you don't watch this movie, and then you really can't make it through 15 minutes of the movie. It just, it just didn't live up to all the hype. Or maybe it's the, it's the, the latest restaurant or, 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 or food dish that you just have to try. This is the best thing that you'll ever put in your mouth, and, and, and you'll be thanking me later that you took my advice and did that. Maybe it's a can't-miss financial opportunity. And now you're still living with the financial ramifications of that can't-miss financial investment opportunity. I'll share one from, from my life. Uh, when, when I, I, I met uh, several families from Texas about 26 years ago last month. And uh, when I met Chanakay's family and the other families that came to preaching school that year, all I heard about was brisket. You just got to have brisket. You know, pulled pork just, just would be left in the dust if you just eat brisket. And so I ate brisket. And it wasn't very good at all. In fact, I remember for years after that saying, I don't know what you see in brisket. And then I learned better and wised up and ate some that Chad cooked or Andrew cooked or Daniel cooked. And I realized this stuff does leave pork in the dust. But for a while, I didn't buy in. And I lived with the regret of believing that it really ought to be that way. It's for that reason, I believe, that we tend to be as people, those who sort of buck against the thing that everybody's doing, the have-tos and the can't-misses, that we view them with a skeptical eye and believe that really it's a lot of hype and there's no substance to it. In his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, Kevin DeYoung writes about his own skepticism about one of these events in life, and that is camping. He says in growing up, he and his family never went camping. They didn't own a tent, an RV, or a fifth wheel. And when he watched people who loved to pack up all of their stuff from home and take it outside, it made no sense to him. And and, and as much as you pushed him to do it and as much as you wanted him to do it, he saw no value in it, but he turned that illustration to the subject of holiness. And he writes, Is it possible that you look at personal holiness like I look at camping? It's fine for other people. In fact, you sort of have to respect those who make their lives harder than it has to be. But it's not really your thing. 
I don't know if we would freely and openly admit this morning that living a morally upright life is better suited for somebody other than us, but we sure seem to give the sentiment to it sometimes. The impossibility or, 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 or the uninterest, the disinterest in that type of lifestyle. See, after with all the other have, have-to-haves and can't-misses, maybe holiness is just another one of those things that's good for religious people. It's good for church people. It's good for the preacher. It's good to sing about as we have this morning or to preach about as we will this morning, but it's not necessarily something I can maintain. Last week we tried tactfully but forcefully to emphasize the point that we have not always lived holy lives. That we've not always measured up to the standard that God has set. We haven't lived out the holiness that God requires, that expectation that he has of us. Now, it's to this point that certainly some are going to disagree. In fact, I'm going to assume that some disagreed last week. But we're not prone to disagree openly with the preacher, and I'm thankful for that. But I understand the disagreement. I really do. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me for just a moment. Here's why I understand it. Look at two passages in this, in, in this text that will, that will seem to, on the surface, if we're not putting all the puzzle pieces together, negate the idea that, that those in Christ are sometimes unholy. In Hebrews 10 and verse 10... The writer says, by this will, speaking of the will of God, which he had wrote about earlier, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. That idea of sanctification is to be made holy, to be forgiven, to stand justified in his sight. Drop down to verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And so when a preacher stands and says, listen, we haven't always been holy. We haven't always acted holy. You turn to Hebrews 10, 10 and 14 and you say, well, preacher, you're wrong. In Christ and through his sacrifice, David talked about this morning, we are made righteous, perfected once for all. I hope that we can appreciate that there is a difference in Scripture between the position of holiness and the practice of holiness. One is positional but the other is, is, is lived out and practical. And there are plenty of examples of those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ who don't live sanctified lives. Those who have been forgiven, who've been washed in His blood, who don't always live up to that. See, a gospel that highlights only what Jesus has done and not what I'm supposed to do in response is no gospel at all anymore than a gospel that teaches me what I should do and never focuses on what Jesus does as a gospel. It takes both sides. It, it takes being positionally holy in Christ, being forgiven, and then living that out. So there's a, a practical side of all of this. We read about it this morning in our scripture reading. That last verse in verse 7, that he has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification or holiness. That's, he's called us to live that, not just be that. In fact, Peter said it very plainly, quoting from the Old Testament, be holy. Friends, that's an action. That's not a simple state of being that I rest in when, when I become a Christian. That's something that I live. So, other than 
believing that holiness is just good for other people, sort of like brisket or camping, what are some reasons why we don't pursue it? And when we do, what are some things that hinder us from being practically holy in our lives? I want to mention to you two this morning. I started with four, and, and for your benefit, I narrowed it to two. Now, I did stick some of those other things under those two overall headings, but I still narrowed it down to two primary reasons why we are hindered in our pursuit of holiness and, and, and do not live up to the expectations sometimes that God's placed on us. Number one, the misguided attempt of preachers. I always like to put myself at the front of the line, okay? Sometimes the way we are taught to live as Christians is actually a hindrance to our embracing the holiness of God and the way we ought to live holy lives. I won't say that that preachers don't preach on holiness. I think that we do. We're doing that this morning. Nor do we fail to express that the Christian needs to act holy in life. If you still have your Bibles open, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I believe that we do this, and for good reason. We preach and stress the need to live holy. I'm not saying that we don't. And I want us us to see why we do. Because there is, as you turn, there are a faction of people who believe that in Christ, once you're in Christ, it doesn't matter how you live after that. I don't know why preachers spend so much time on living holy lives, because it seems to be unnecessary. But yet the Bible is plain. Look back, beginning in verse 6, or verse 9 of chapter 6. These are familiar verses to us. Oh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor, the, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. For such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. The, the, the emphasis there is this. Listen, there is a, a, a type of person that cannot enter into heaven. That individual needs to be purified from those impurities and it takes more than claiming it. If you take that verse or those, that passage and you attach it to the concept of, say, Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He that does the will of my Father is in heaven. When I take those thoughts together, here's what I end up with unholiness stands in opposition to the kingdom of which we've been made citizens. In fact, in order to enter into that kingdom in the first place, we must be made holy. We must be sanctified. But in order to be ushered into that heavenly kingdom and handed over to the Father, we must remain holy. And because of those two fundamental points, preachers preach about holiness. However, in our attempt to remind people, I'm not sure, okay, good, I'm seeing things back there. You're not seeing them here. That's great. Um, we, we start over. We're going to go back and begin again. Um, in our attempts to remind people of this truth, we can turn the Sunday morning sermon into a self-help seminar that simply teaches us how to be a better whatever. In fact, we advertise it that way, don't we, sometimes? Come learn to be a better father. Come learn to be a better husband. Come learn to have a better family. As if that's the end all, if that's the the goal of preaching and of Christianity is to be better 
than we were yesterday. That, that might be an outgrowth, but it's certainly not the, the primary thought and point. And so sometimes in this attempt, preachers can make us feel bad. For watching too much TV, for spending too much money on our latest investment, for not being a good enough or a, 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 a polished enough communicator at home, for getting angry, for missing a church service without ever actually pushing us to be holy. I like what one writer said. Don't get me wrong. All things considered, I'd rather have a polite, plea-training, plea-tree-planting, tax-paying guy who watches TV thir- PG-13 movies to live next door to me than a heavy-drinking recluse who wagers on cockfighting and dresses like he's late for the Renaissance Fair. But holiness is more than middle-class family values. I love that line. I love that line. Because it seems like that's sometimes what we're trying to push. If we can just modify behavior, if we can just get people to walk in step, then we've managed them, they've managed to reach a state of holiness of practicality rather than just positional. Here's the problem with that approach. When I'm beat over the head every Sunday morning in sermon form, I will generally do two, one of two things. At best, I will reduce holiness to a checklist of visible public issues that become something that needs to be validated by others. Or at worst, I'll just give up. You ever felt that way? I know I've been preaching here for 13 plus years. You can admit it. You ever felt that way? Come to church services every Sunday, leave every Sunday thinking I'm not good enough. I'll never be enough. I'll me- never measure up because my behavior doesn't exactly line up with everything that Wayne says when he stands to preach, and I feel bad every time I leave. Now, part of that might be I need to change. But part of that might be I need to change in the way that it's presented. Because this misguided notion, this, this, this abuse of pulpit by, by preachers, to modify rather than transform leaves us falling short. So it will hinder our pursuit of holiness. A second second thing, we'll, we'll just give you these two today. Sometimes we're hindered in pursuing holiness because we have a misplaced emphasis on the past. Because we have a misplaced emphasis on the past. If we're not careful, in this pursuit of holiness, we will create a generational conflict on the subject of holiness you ever thought and maybe even thought out loud if we could just go back to a time when this didn't happen in our world when this didn't happen in our country this wasn't the norm when this wasn't accepted when this wasn't tolerated as if that would answer the immorality and ungodliness of our world that we that we would be better morally if we could just go back in time Turning back the clock might help some things. But it will not save us, nor will it rid us of impurities. Hey, there was a, a meme that I saw on one occasion about time that you know, if we could, if, 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 when we had prayer in schools, our biggest problems were chewing gum and running in the halls. As if we could just turn back and be there, our children wouldn't be immoral. Anybody go to school when prayer was in school? Was it, was it moral? Was everyone around you upright? Was there no sex outside of marriage and, and no alcohol consumption? Was, was there no immorality and ungodliness that existed? Were, were there not words that were spoken that shouldn't be? 
it seems to me that sometimes we, and Christians may be as guilty of this as anyone, we, we have an unhealthy attachment to the past. Remember Israel's attachment to their past? They get out of Egypt, they get to the, to the wilderness, and what do they say? Oh, we could just go back to Egypt. Remember how good we had it there? No, you didn't because we read it. That's the reason you cried out to God. And he, he wanted to save you and redeem you because the past wasn't better. And here's the thing. If I could just rewind time, if that makes things moral, if that makes me holy, which time do we turn back to? Which generation do we go to? Friends, we don't want to restore the morals of the 50s and 60s or the 1700s or the first century for that matter. The only time that we could turn it back to, only place we could go, there's no immorality, there's no sin, there, there, there's, there, there's no problem of, of unholiness. It's all the way back to the pre-sin garden. That's it. Anytime you turn the clock forward, you inherit holiness just by virtue of unholy men living there. Remember, last week we read the prayer of Ezra. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra had it right. Ezra said in verse 7, Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. Ezra didn't say, if we could just go back to pre-captivity, if we could just get back before Jeroboam took the throne, if we could just get back to the days of the judges, he didn't even say if we could get back to Moses and Joshua. He said, since the days of our fathers, for as long as we can remember, as long as our history has ever been recorded, we have been a sinful people. Instead of attaching himself to a time period that was holy, he cried out to a God who was holy and said, forgive us and restore us and give us purpose again. Friends, that's holiness. And if we're going to live up to the expectation, it's not going to be because the preacher shames us into modifying our behavior by constant sermons Sunday after Sunday. And it's not going to be because we, we reach a, a time in our, in our past that, that makes us devoid of, of sin. It's because we give everything we have to God. That's not just the latest craze. It's not the, the, the latest can't miss. It's the absolute eternal truth who God wants us to be and how he wants us to live and the place he wants us to hold. What does it look like? That's probably another sermon for another time. But I'll leave you with this. It involves all three components of man. To sum it up or narrow it down, I'll say it like this. It involves the hands, the head, and the heart. True biblical holiness. Pre-sin garden requires all three from us. I have to know in my head what is right. I have to care in my heart what is right. And I have to do with my hands what is right biblical expectation and yes it is daunting and it is challenging because there's not a generation in the history of the world that I can look to that says hey they did it like that I'll follow them e even a man as great as the apostle Paul had to say follow me at with the qualifier as I follow Christ but in one sense it's difficult because there's no earthly example in another sense 
it should be easier than we think. Because God has surrounded us with reminders of who he is, of his greatness, of his goodness, and his holiness, and says, be holy as I am holy. Is that your life this morning? Does that describe your relationship with him? Does that depict how you view the Christian walk? If it does, then there's a chance that understanding will help to modify your behavior. It will drive you to your knees to repent of sins. It will make you more invested in the local church. It will help you to be better at home so your children respect you and your wife will follow you. It will do all of those things. Friends, I'm convinced it doesn't start with the action that leads to the change of heart. It starts with the change of heart that leads to the action. If you're not a Christian, if we can assist you in coming home to the holy and righteous God, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.